0: Stay on target. Maximum. Stay on target. Maximum. Rothbard. <laughs> well, hello, and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight, we are going to. Oh man, this is going to be a tough one. Per the big Lebowski, nobody fucks with the Jesus. Well, that's what we're doing tonight a little bit. We're going to do the Passion of the Christ for the 125th episode of the show. We're going to be talking about this with the anarcho-Christian, and he will be on in a moment. Uh, Robert, I I have a feeling that I'm going to attempt to not be offensive, but I don't know what I don't know. And so I might accidentally. Are you just going to play ignorance? Is that what you're going to do? I am going to plead ignorance all across the board. Lame. Take a stand. Have some balls. Well, you know, I, I don't even like really have uh, well-formed opinions about a lot of this stuff. It's a movie. I, You're I'm just judging the movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. That's what I'm gonna do, and and we'll introduce our friend here in a, in a few minutes uh, from the dot com. But spoilers you might have a dog in this fight. I know. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. It's okay, though. It's okay. It'll absolutely. be absolutely be a good conversation you can have bias i don't mind well everyone's got their own bias and their own uh, moral uh, relativism and uh, their own truth i'm going to speak my truth uh, did i just turn commie i think i did you went commie a long time ago yeah big time commie all right so um we had some stellar uh, pre-show content that is available for our patreon supporters at actualanarchy.com patreon and uh we've got additional reviews for the show from people we've been begging for uh, more itunes reviews and so that has been working out in our favor. So thank you guys very much for that. We could always use more. So any other listeners, if you're out there, hit us up on those iTunes, give us some uh, star ratings and some, you know, like little blurbs. Um, they, they don't have to be true, but, you know, probably better if they are, because we wouldn't want someone to show up and be like, hey, we got promised in the review that this was a good show, but here you guys are talking about crap and we don't like this. You know, so like, let it, you know, let the, the real stuff stick out there, I guess. You know, is what I'm saying, right? Right, Robert, whatever you say, buddy. All right. Well, this will be good. I'm hopped up on Advils and red wine, and let's get into that last nighters portion of the show, shall we? Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson. The Last Nighters, and the Last Nighters are part of the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. This is episode 68 of the show. This is an Easter special. We are doing the Passion of the Christ with Stephen, the Anarcho-Christian. We'll introduce him in just a moment. Uh, how you doing, Robert? Lovely, sir. How are you? Besides I'm old, I'm I'm old, decrepit, falling apart, um, and uh, I'm trying to self-medicate. And I think it'll be uh, it'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah, gonna just, just self-medicate your way to uh, success right well isn't that how all the rock stars died at 27 yeah <laughs> and i'm well past that so you're already ahead of the game i am i'm on borrowed time all right well speaking of borrowed time we are borrowing time from a friend of ours steven the anarcho-christian welcome to the show uh please uh let everyone know um you know what your website's about how they can find your show and all that good stuff
2: hey guys thanks for having me on. Um, I run the anarchochristian.com website and podcast and, and Facebook page, and uh, it's pretty much anything about Christian anarchism. Um, you know, from going over you know blogs and articles or books and um, or you know Bible verses that are relevant to you know our topic, and um, that's about it.
0: All right. Yeah, that's cool. It seems like um, a pretty popular niche, actually, um, way more popular than, than our niche. <laughs> um, and I actually do have in my notes related to the movie we're talking about tonight, The Passion of the Christ, just some general questions uh, about religion and the state and some verses that get referred to in deference to the state. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on those. Um, I don't, I don't know if you like have a uh, specific knowledge in those areas but i figured i'd throw throw those against you and see what you see what you have to think on them
2: sure i'll do my best
0: all right sounds great well we usually start off with uh, a read of the old google description and then we get into the analysis of the film so if you're ready i will uh pull that up here so Mm -hmm. the passion of the christ 2004 drama indie film two hours and seven minutes directed by mel gibson and produced by mel gibson and uh financed by mel gibson pretty uh Pretty cool story on that, actually, that I want to get into. Wasn't it also co-written by him? It it was, I believe, yes. So, uh, 7.2 on IMDb, 49% Rotten Tomatoes, and 4 out of 4 by Roger Ebert when he was still around, and 93% of Google users like it. So, a huge disparity between the normal critics and everyone else. Pretty interesting. The description is this. In this version of Christ's crucifixion, based on the New Testament, Judas expedites the downfall of Jesus, played by Jim Caviezel, by handing him over to the Roman Empire's handpicked officials, to the horror of his mother Mary Magdalene—oh, okay, sorry—to the horror of his mother Mary Magdalene, whom all right, you doing okay? How's it going? You well, how, you how, had? how this is written is like bizarre. Okay, to the horror of his mother and Mary Magdalene, whom he saved from damnation and his disciples, Jesus is condemned to death. He is tortured as he drags a crucifix to nearby Calvary where he is nailed to the cross. He dies, but not before a last act of grace. Came out February 25th, 2004, directed by Mel Gibson, as we said. Box office of $611.9 million. And uh, an interesting thing about this, this is not an English language film. This is in kind of a, an Aramaic, uh, Jewish, Palestinian, Latin, Hebrew type language, which is pretty interesting. Um, I did watch it with the words on, on uh, Amazon Prime. However, I couldn't make the words quite big enough. Uh, to read them easily, so I was, I was squint division in watching this. Uh, your thoughts on the uh, Google description, Robert, you still watching movies on your iPad? I am, but we have a bigger one on the way. It's arriving on Monday. Uh-huh.
1: yeah, so I think you're right about that. Um, they actually learned their lines in Aramaic and also Latin for the for the Romans, I believe. Um, I, I have not a whole lot to say about the description. It pretty much describes the plot. Um, yeah it's just it's just about it takes place over about what like a day or two. And then when you get some flashbacks, but for the most part, it's
0: just, just Christ's execution. Yeah. Just a whole bunch of torture, which I remember when this came out, it was very uh, controversial. And I think, well, I'll have a bunch of questions on this, but um, let's uh, shift over to Steven. What are your thoughts on the description so far?
2: Yeah. Like you said, on the description, it's uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, the, the movie isn't, I guess, a typical movie where you have, um, you know, I guess a progressing storyline. It's just a, uh, a, uh, one snippet from uh, you know from this event and, with a few little things thrown in there through the flashbacks, but yeah that's uh that's pretty much it.
1: yeah, and um, gosh, this is going to open up a whole can of worms and stuff, but mm. now let's let's I'll, I'll work in my comments as we go through. Daniel, you, where do you want to take this to start
0: off? Well, we mentioned the uh, the Aramaic language that was spoken in the film, and I guess Gibson wanted to do that to have the nuances of the performance shine through. Uh, in spite of the the language, so it's kind of an interesting thing you know because it really forces the actors to act not with their words per se. I mean they are doing a performance of course, but they have to use like all their other other subtle cues and other uh, abilities to relay the story to the audience because when this was in theaters, I don't think there were any subtitles. I think it was just straight this is what you get. you're watching this and you're not gonna understand very many of the words and you're just gonna be impacted by what's going on on the screen.
1: Yeah. I read a little blurb on the Amazon prime that said Gibson initially didn't want any subtitles at all. And eventually he relented. I'm not sure at what point he did, but I know I appreciated it. I mean, you could have gotten the story just from the actions alone. I wouldn't say the dialogue was necessarily too insightful, but there are some key scenes where absolutely I wanted to know what was being said off the top of my head, especially during the so-called like trial period where he Jesus is in front of the Pharisees. And then when Pontius Pilate is taking Jesus aside and kind of talking to him a bit.
0: Yeah. And he had an interesting, uh, Latin slash Russian accent. I thought <laughs> he's a Russian troll. Uh, Stephen, you have any, uh, any comments on this portion?
2: Yeah. So I, I did see this movie in the theater, but that was obviously a long time ago. And I don't remember, I want to say that it did have subtitles and, um, I could see where maybe you wouldn't need subtitles because it's a it's a story that a lot of people have some of the the basic ideas of so you could just kind of watch these people react and, and watch their their actions and and you know their the looks on their faces and things like that to to still get it but um, but I do prefer the subtitles because uh, I guess one thing that that to the credit of uh, I, I think Gibson Mel Gibson uh, wrote, or, or wrote the screenplay, or co-wrote it. Uh, that there's a lot there um that's that's really good as far as sticking to the words, you know, from the the gospels, and even putting in some things that are references to other parts of the gospels or other or other books in the Bible. So uh, where that's concerned, uh you know, I I am glad that I could see it artistically without the subtitles, but I'm glad that they're there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and. I think that uh, the performances—you can actually see some of it with like the um, woman who plays Satan and the Apostle Peter or disciple, disciple, right? Peter.
2: Yeah. At Uh, this point, they're disciples.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you know, he was like watching the show trial, and he was like caressing this column that's holding up the building, and then you know, know, acting um... very—he was trying to display a lot of emotion in that scene, and I think that was purposefully done because of the aramaic like i think that they amped up to 11 you know all of the physical performance to try to convey the story so he was trying to like show that he was very distressed by what he was seeing and tormented and then he denied jesus three times as was foretold in the flashback anyways
1: i think you're right i think this movie kind of seems like a it's kind of presented in a kind of a play format where there's a whole lot of emoting and kind of melodramatic cranked up to 11 body performances in order to convey to people in the back row who can't necessarily hear all the dialogue perfectly clearly or something like that.
2: Yeah, right. I think that you mentioned earlier that maybe a lot of that came from it being in a foreign language to all of the actors. And and I agree. I, I think that there was a lot of that emoting, that larger movements, larger, you know, ways that you can express things. And um, I'm, I'm sure it was, I'm sure that that was intentional, but also assisted by the foreign language.
0: Right. And and I had another point there and now I have lost it. Oh um, yeah. Kavitzel, Kavitzel's, uh performance, as he's Jesus and tortured, I mean, he doesn't have a lot to say, but he, his face and his body being mutilated are on screen a lot. And so he's acting like without words very much in this film. And I thought he did a, a, an excellent job, um, by the way. And I guess he um, actually injured his shoulder as a, as a result of the filming. And um, I guess during filming, the assistant director was struck by lightning twice and then so was Cavizel. So lightning strikes three times during the filming of this. Wow. So God was angry?
1: What, what this movie? I don't understand.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, I don't know. So Steven, you saw this in the theater. Um, I I just saw it for the first time last night. But I do remember when it came out. And my uncle is, uh, you know, a traditional, you know, conservative Christian Republican type. And he was all about this movie when it came out. He was like, oh, you got to go see it. It's so good. It's so amazing. And and all that stuff. But all I remember is that there was a bunch of controversy. And I don't recall if it was just because it's a religious movie and Hollywood didn't want to produce it. So Gibson had to go out kind of out on a limb and, and do it himself. Um, but then there's also some, some criticisms of it being anti-Semitic in some way. And I'm not really sure if I see that here. Maybe I'm just naive. But what would the controversy have been about just in general? And then do you know what the anti-Semitic stuff that was claimed to be about this movie uh, was
2: yeah, I remember that. I remember all of the controversial um, or all the controversies around it. I, one was uh, it, about the blood uh, and the torture in the movie, and the other part was the claim that it's anti-Semitic. And what's interesting is that the the movie I didn't see anything anti-Semitic about it, and the only thing that I could that I could see as maybe a specific is that the you know the the Jewish Pharisees are the the bad guys. Um, so, I mean, that, that's the only thing that I could see that, that I guess could be pointed to is that it kind of shed like a a bad light on them. Um, but that's
0: not a contrivance of Mel Gibson, right? I mean, that's like the biblical story, correct?
2: Right. Exactly. That there wasn't anything in here that was different from the story. And I don't think anything in it that, you know, kind of gave this really negative view onto Jewish people. I didn't see that at all, but the the one thing that's weird that doesn't help the case though, I don't know if you guys remember when Mel Gibson was after this movie was, you know, caught times oh, yeah. in public making anti-Semitic statements. Right. And he so he was yeah, pulled
1: over drunk and he said that the Jews start all wars or cause all wars, which a lot of people in Hollywood took offense to.
2: Right. So it doesn't help the the controversy already surrounding the movie where that's concerned. But it but to me it does seem I could be wrong, but it does seem completely you know, separate that this movie and the way that the the characters, you know, are portrayed doesn't doesn't seem to come through with, with any sort of um, malice toward their city. Right.
0: And he was the king of the Jews. He was Jewish himself. So yeah. I guess I don't kind of understand what the what the issue is. I mean, yeah, the Jewish people, the Pharisees were Jewish. And then when they were when Pontius Pilate was offering to free Jesus or. Barabbas. Is that is that his name? Barabbas? Barabbas. Barabbas. And and they choose Barabbas, I guess, to spite Jesus or whatever. Um, That is is that like the thing that um, how do do I say this? Is that the thing that historically speaking is the 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 crux of why Jewish people have been persecuted since that time? Or is it or this unrelated? Because I remember as an offhand comment in a movie, a comedy movie like, I don't know, 20 years ago. They said, "Oh, the Jews killed Jesus, or something," and that's that's why people are upset about at them. Is is that what it is?
2: I think that surprisingly, there are people who harbor that feeling, which is really strange. Because I, I kid you not, I have had that conversation with with people, uh, with you know, Christian American, uh, you know, normal Joe Blow sort of people, where they've made comments like that: "The Jews killed Jesus," and I have said, "Well, you know, that Jesus was Jewish." And they look at me like I'm insane. like, no way, you know, that's, that's not possible. And I, I mean, so I, I will say from experience that there are people that do hold that feeling that, you know, quote, the Jews killed Jesus and they use it in in this way that to hate Jewish people. And then also simultaneously, they have no idea the ethnicity of Jesus.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Let's, let's go back to the movie a little bit here. Um, the movie if you're just watching the movie i understand there's a whole bible and you know all kinds of backstory and other things but we're not getting that in the movie so in the movie it's just a tiny little snippet but we get the kind of sense that the pharisees were mostly upset with jesus because he was kind of upsetting the apple cart like they had this kind of at least the impression that i got was that the pharisees were kind of already in place they're like the entrenched religion the entrenched you know, power in this Jewish community. And along comes this young upstart guy who's this new competition. And he's saying some things that are attracting a lot of followers, a lot of attention, but they're kind of, he, there's, you know, not just, not just competition for ears and souls and eyeballs and whatever, but also that he is particularly like throwing shade at them, right? Because he's saying like, I mean, I don't know, this is me talking out of my ass, but like, you know, you don't have to go to the temple to pray, right? You can like pray wherever. And maybe I'm also saying some other things, but in the movie, all you get is, you know, he claims he's the Messiah. And how could he possibly be this Messiah? He's not a King, blah, blah, blah. I'm curious more along the lines of why were they really upset with it? Why did they really want to kill him? So if you could provide some more kind of a back bit on that, that'd be fantastic.
2: Yeah. And you, you basically have it, um, you, you have it there that it there's a, Couple of different things. One, it's you know blasphemous to claim that that you are God, and um, and Jesus obviously does, and and that's a point of tension. And then there are many times, you know, in in the Gospels where Jesus is calling out these Pharisees for who they are—that they're they're liars and they're not um, they're not upholding the, the true the true faith and the true religion. So that that is that is something that the movie does kind of lose out on just focusing on that little part. And not seeing the, the years that I think it's about three years of buildup, you know, to to that point with, um, you know, with the Pharisees um, trying to to get him killed.
1: OK, so they've been after this guy for a while. He's been a thorn in their side for some time then.
2: Yeah. OK.
1: Yeah, you, about, you...
2: I think it's three years, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Mm. OK, I kind of wish the movie had told me that, but that's OK. I mean, we still get the idea.
0: Yeah, I felt like in watching that I sort of had the general gist of things just from, you know, the Sunday school stuff uh, in general. And my wife made the comment that, um, (laughs) it was hard to tell the, the actors apart because they all kind of looked similar, you know, the long hair and the robes and everything. So it was kind of hard to like get the lay of the land and who was who and why they were where they were and doing whatever. Like there was a, there's a moment when there, I think it's John and the two Marys, the mother and uh, Mary Magdalene are like following the procession. And then all of a sudden they get a, a hair up to, um, go do an end around and try to like talk to jesus for a moment and it's just so that she can say that she's there but um i I don't know it just it didn't make a lot of sense like why some of the things were happening and then like all of a sudden we would be somewhere else and i couldn't tell if it was a flashback or if it was in the moment like especially the judas situation with the um, the little children that were devils like I, i couldn't tell if that was a flashback to when like Jesus met Judas, like maybe Judas had been this street person who had leprosy or whatever. I, I, I don't know the canon or the story, you know? Um, but when they were displaying it in the film, I was like, Oh, this must be back when before, before events. And he was tormented and he saw demons and whatever. And then he met Jesus and then he portrayed Jesus. And I thought that'd be like the little arc for that story. But no, that was after he had tried to return the money, uh, mm. the 30 pieces of silver. And then all of a sudden he's just like, slumped up next to a, a building uh, and his face is all cut up and these kids are like acting like demons to him. And I didn't understand how we got from point A to B in that one. Is, is yeah. it? Yeah, go ahead.
2: I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, the the movie um, definitely, I think, assumes a lot for the viewer that, that you're already very familiar with it. And maybe this is not anything new, but it's just the visual part that the story is always lacking or something like that. Um, then specifically with with Judas, that's one of the parts in the movie that I don't I don't care for because there's a few different analogy or, give, or illustrations that are made in the movie and, and the symbolism that's made and um, or artistic license. And uh, that's one of the ones that I don't care for because it's not biblical at all. That's just, um, I guess, Mel Gibson trying to show the, the tortured soul of Judas or something. But I think that it distracted from the movie on the, the movie level. And then I think that it distracts as well from the actual gospel message that you would get, you know, from reading it, if you're reading it after watching the movie and you're like, well, that, that part wasn't in here. Where's that part? Or it, it just is confusing. So I, I don't think that was good for a couple of different reasons.
0: Yeah. You know, for me, if you're doing flashbacks, you got to make it obvious that they're flashbacks, unless you're doing one of those clever movies that like it's messing with you, but this is neither right? This isn't like trying to mess with us. You know, it's not inceptioning us. Mm-hmm. So I think it would have been better had the flashbacks been more, I, don't, I guess on their face, you know, Hey, this is a flashback everyone. <laughs> and not just, Hey, moments later, and across town for some reason. And and he looks totally different now, by the way, uh, it was just weird. Anyway, um, uh, Roberts, I'm sure you've got, yes, something. sir. Uh, well, I've got all kinds of
1: things. It's just a question on what we want to get into. Um,
0: Let's talk about Pontius Pilate a little bit because he actually brought up the whole my truth thing when he was explaining to his wife why he was kind of in a catch-22 with he's going to have a rebellion no matter what he does with Jesus. And then he mentions that he's been putting down rebellions for 11 years in this wretched outpost. So I I thought that was very apropos of, you know, that's what an extension of government force is, is to quell rebellion and prevent people from living free. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah, I really liked Uh, uh, Pilate in this movie. I I thought that the actor did a good job. And as far as the dialogue, it stayed true to the things that were said in the gospels, but also the things that were added. Um, I think like, like you're pointing out um, that they're very true to the historical, you know, events that were happening and just the nature of having this uh, military occupation.
1: There's so many different ways we could do this. Um, Okay. I'm going to talk about just movies in general and character. So there's a bunch of different ways you can look at art and movies and I'm just going to look at this as if it's a normal movie. I understand it's not a normal movie. This is a movie that was made as a retelling of a historical type, you know, story that's already been told. And so it depends on the audience having a lot of kind of in-depth knowledge. It's made for a certain audience, right? It's made for an audience of people that want to go and learn more about, you know, say their faith or reaffirm their faith or something like that. Or glorify the, the, the origins of their religion. But as for me, as an atheist film critic, I'm just going to analyze it from a movie point of view, and that may be unfair. So you can just discount everything we're going to say it's fine. I really don't mind it. But for me, Pontius Pilate is the best character in this movie by far Pontius Pilate, actually you reveal a little bit of his humanity, his humanity shows up in this film. He's the only character with any kind of conflict, any kind of internal conflict, and his decisions affect the plot of the movie. No other character in this film does anything. Jesus, for being the central character, pretty much just stands there or gets beat up the entire movie. Uh, Mary, Mary Magdalene, uh, the, um, let's see here, Judas actually does something, but we don't get any kind of insight to his character. But Pontius Pilate, you can tell he's torn. He's obviously some government bureaucrat guy, but he doesn't want to murder this guy who hasn't done nothing. It's clearly just like this religious competition beef going on. And he's like, come on, I'm going to do anything I can. He even offers up Barabbas to be like, oh, come on, you're not really going to pick Barabbas over this guy. This guy didn't do nothing. You're going to take him? But they hate him so much. And he's like, ugh, fine. Ultimately, finally, he goes, okay, fine, go ahead and kill him. But it is with great reluctance, after absor- you know, trying out every other other possibility with which he does that. So, yeah, um, I was trying to think, you know, who's the main character in this movie? It should be Jesus. It should be his story. It's his death, but it only takes place over like two days, maybe one or two days, and we don't get enough from Jesus as a protagonist. You know, ideally, a protagonist is somebody who acts; they affect the plot by their actions. They do things. Now, there can be times when doing nothing is an interesting decision. And there are times in this movie where he chooses to, you know, like when um, Pontius asks him, you know, what do you want me to do here? I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I want to let you go. but And Jesus is like, well, you can't do nothing to me. I mean, you don't have any authority and the real bad people are the ones that threw me into your hands and that sort of thing. And he basically is saying like, you got nothing on me. You can, You have no power over me. So that's that's that can be an interesting thing but when you do that the entire movie when you are just like this whipping post the entire movie it's just not interesting. He's he's not an interesting protagonist. He's not an interesting character to me because he's 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 flawless, right? He's like Mr. Virtue and I understand he, he's like the source of a, the world's most one of the world's most powerful popular religions. So of course he's going to have great virtue. He's not going to be like a flawed protagonist that, you know, would be more interesting. But for me this is almost like a punches pilot movie. Like whenever he's on screen, I'm interested in what's happening, and when he's not on screen, I'm like I'm less interested. So for me, you know, there's there's issues there. But um, yeah. Anyway, that was my little rant on that. I'm sure Daniel might have some thoughts, or Stephen can yell at me or something. I don't know. But anyway, go ahead, guys. No, no, I, I think
0: you couch that uh, carefully enough to where if we're just looking at this movie without any extra, you know, like foreknowledge and, and awareness of the storyline. That right, Like I'm sure
1: if you go back in time to Jesus doing All the things that Jesus is famous for doing I'm sure he'd make a great protagonist to all kinds of different movies But since we just get this little snippet, you know here where he's not really doing much but dying it 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 doesn't make for a dramatic narrative. So anyway,
0: yeah Now I will say that the amount of punishment on display in this movie is incredible like just immense like my shoulder, yeah, he should have died a couple times <laughs> yeah my, my shoulder and my back hurt from being forty one you know and he's sitting there getting whipped with the cat of nine tails like fifty times and and this this is after being beaten with sticks and uh you know it's like how, how's he even conscious it's it's that's pretty incredible that feat uh, of that but um how
1: well, can we wondering? talk about how how cartoonish the um
0: the bad roman
1: the the Roman guards are they are Absolutely like howling, cackling, perverse psychopaths. And I, I understand you got to have villains in a movie, but it seemed like almost every single one of them was just being a guard to get their rocks off of hurting people. And they took some severe pleasure when they were uh, beating this man to death.
0: You know, I wonder if, um, you know, Satan, the woman was walking through the, that first torture scene a little bit. And she had the little devil baby, demon baby. I wonder if that was supposed to symbolize that she was sort of amplifying their enjoyment of that or like making them do that more than they otherwise would have. Like the whole story is like, this is all part of God's plan, right? And it's all sort of preordained and Jesus knows it's going to happen and he foretells a lot of this stuff. He tells the um, disciples like, hey, this and this and this is going to happen. And then he's willing to accept that this will happen and he goes through with it. But I'm wondering if if this was sort of like, behind the scenes, out of the control of those individuals per se, like they were destined to do these things, not of their own volition, not of their own individual choices, but like sort of orchestrated in a way. You kind of follow what I'm saying? Like it feels like this is all preordained to happen. And Jesus even says in this, you know, they know not what they do and he he knows what the fate is going to be. Side note, and I've always wondered this, the, the whole crux of this is that Jesus dies for sin and they torture him and crucify him, but how does that absolve, Stephen? This is directed to you. How does this absolve sin in the world of man, and why would the devil make this deal that gets reneged
2: on three days later? Um, I guess I, I'm not familiar with uh, with what you're saying. That this deal is that something that uh, came out of the movie, and maybe I missed that.
0: Well, I'm just speaking in more, I guess, general-ish terms. Like, oh, okay. Like Jesus dies for the sins of man, and that. So, so they don't go to hell, right? Well, this must be
2: a bargain struck, right? Like, no, no, uh, there wasn't. And uh, it, it sounds like uh, it's possible that maybe you're mixing the uh, the story of Job with uh, uh, with this story where uh, Job starts out with uh, the devil approaching God and and um, and telling him that. You know, you you protect Job. Let me let me do something you know bad to him, and he'll reject you. And and so that's the way that the story of Job starts off. There wasn't anything like that, um, I guess, in in the Bible dealing with Jesus or anything like that, where uh, there was some sort of deal struck between God or Jesus and and the devil. Um, there's one thing in the movie where. Uh, with the snake, when he's praying at the garden at the beginning of the movie, where he steps on the snake's head. And that you won't find written in the gospel accounts. But what it is, is it was put in by uh, Mel Gibson as a um, uh, as symbolism for uh, way back in Genesis. Uh, God uh, lets Satan know that there will be you know there will be a Messiah that will crush his head, crush the head of the serpent. So uh, we have that as a, you know, kind of a symbolism in that part of the movie. But about um, getting back to the original question, it, uh, there there isn't at all um, a part where the deal God, you know, and or Jesus and the devil.
0: Okay, you broke up just a little bit
2: there.
1: And yeah, unless- like right at a key point. I didn't quite understand that last sentence right there. <laughs> uh,
2: there's there's not a, a deal uh, made by. God or made by Jesus with the devil. Um, you know that that's not something that happens in in, in the Bible at all. Uh, that could be my that could be something that is uh, confused with the story of Job a little bit. But with Jesus, uh, there's not a there's not a deal struck that the devils lost. Um, you know, three days later or anything like that.
0: Okay.
1: All right. Um, yeah, I've got to say that's a new one on me too, Dan. I've never heard that some kind of deal with the devil. There's the there's the whole devil tempting. Christ out in the desert. Right. But other than that, I
2: don't know. Right. And that's, you know, that's something else that maybe would um, Robert, I think you're mentioning, you know, for, you know, a bigger movie with, with more development and stuff like that, that might be a good thing Uh, that it might've been good if we had something like that. But, uh, but otherwise I I really didn't care for any of the symbolism with the devil character in the movie. I I really didn't care for it at all. I thought it was kind of distracting and um, it's not, and it didn't, Hold a lot of significance to the actual, you know, story. Yeah, and there's not a whole lot of payoff with the devil's involvement. No, you just get that really terrible, like scene at the end where the devil's on his/her knees, you know, screaming, you know. And I don't know, I didn't care for it.
1: And then there's the point where the devil's like holding that creepy old baby. What was that about?
2: Yeah, that is completely 100% Mel Gibson on that one. That's not in the story that's not in the gospels. That's not, uh, you know, something Is it that's
1: symbolism something, for something it's, or
2: it's, it's his symbolism. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. It's not actually symbolism from the Bible or, you know, some sort of prophecy or anything like that from the Bible. It's, it's 100% Mel Gibson's symbolism. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. I mean, it's interesting that you say that just because I remember when this movie came out and Gibson was like promoting the movie and he was saying that this movie is like, you know, 100 literal translation from scripture. Like they didn't add anything. This is exactly what happened. And that can't possibly be true because I'm sure all this dialogue isn't in the Bible and you know they're taking some artistic license. They've got to, I'm sure. But
2: yeah, that's not true. There there was yeah. quite a bit of license there. Uh they I mean they did uh have a lot of um uh key dialogue in the movie so that's a really good thing but then there were also other things that are added to it that were either references to other Bible verses um or or just something that they threw in there to kind of make another reference. Gotcha.
0: So was the devil who, um, one of her first lines is, uh, who's your daddy, which I thought was uh, kind of fun. But um, at the end, that final moment after Jesus has died, and then she's like down on her knees, like you said, screaming, is that supposed to be representative of her being in hell at that point? And was that in the film's specifics? um, Was that like the moment when Satan was banished to hell, do you think?
2: Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not I'm not sure. Um, I was trying to actually look at that yesterday uh, or a couple days ago when I was rewatching the movie and and trying to get an idea of like, what exactly is Mel Gibson trying to show us in that scene? Um, You know, I wasn't sure if the devil was in hell or if it was like this like weird dimensional thing, you know, because the devil was already there around everybody during the, the scourging, um, I wasn't really sure. And like I said, I, I just think the whole thing is a little bit distracting. Um, I will say the one thing that is significant uh, biblically is that, you know, the, this idea of when Jesus dies on the cross, he, he's victorious over sin, death, and the devil. So, so that's the one thing about that, that scene where it takes place at that moment when he dies, that that is significant. Uh, but the way that it's portrayed, I just think.
0: Hmm, interesting. You know, back to the Pontius Pilate and being torn on what to do. He tries to appease the Pharisees and the Jews who don't like Jesus, who hate him, with torturing him, but with severe punishment, but don't kill the man is what he says. And so that's where they take yeah. him to this place and he's beaten with reeds and, or sticks and then uh, the cat of nine tails and all of that, which is horrific, horrific, um, especially the rib shot where they're like ripping the side. Ugh. But I wonder if he had acquiesced to their demands originally to have him crucified if it would have been less torturous for Jesus. Like Pontius chose this other path in hopes of saving his life by nearly killing him versus just going straight to crucifixion where he would have just not been tortured in that way, but still murdered. Right.
1: Because those other two guys were not tortured before they were put up on the cross. I mean, it's still not great. You're still getting your hands and feet nailed and hung up there and
2: yeah. And you're definitely going to die up there. You know, they don't just kind of put them up there for a few days and then bring them back down after, you know, after getting a sunburn or something, you know, it's uh, the Romans, you know, use the crucifixion. And, and interestingly enough, we, we even get the word excruciating from cru- the crucifixion. Um, so the, the pain that these people are put through already, just like you said, the other two thieves that are on the cross, they're eventually going to die. And maybe there's something to it where. Jesus does die within the matter within a matter of a few hours rather than being up there for a couple of days because if, if the way that someone would die up on the cross uh could take days because it's a it's a matter of of asphyxiation and, and trying to push yourself up on this cross while you're while you're nailed to it so it could take quite a while and uh, i I wouldn't be surprised if the the scourging is something that that kind of once he was crucified it did speed up that the you know up to the point of death
0: Right. And and you know, the, the most horrifying part to me anyway, <laughs> uh, was because I, I used to run a lot, like I ran a few marathons and my knees would give me problems. And so when they, um, whacked their knees with the sledgehammer yeah, while they're hung up and, and I assume that's to prevent them from supporting themselves any longer. Right. Uh, that was just like, Oh, like my, my, <laughs> my stomach dropped at that one. Cause like that hit home for me.
2: Yeah. Visually that was, um, that, that was well done. Uh, I thought,
0: yeah, that was like you didn't you didn't pay your uh, your gambling debt or something, you know, or, or your taxes.
1: So, Dan, let's move into um, your questions on your biblical verses and the state.
0: Well, before we get to that, uh, uh, just more on the visualization of, of the uh, acting in this. OK, there's a few things that are just like over the top, like in your face, like I'm doing this because it's well known and commonplace. And, and one of them was he washes his hands of the situation by literally washing his hands. Yeah. And then Jesus draws the line in the sand when he saves uh, Mary Magdalene, I guess, from um, stoning, right? Is, is that what yeah. the Pharisee, or the Jewish people, the the Pharisees are throwing uh, towards Jesus or like sort of he stands in front of the mob? Yeah,
1: right. He draws the line in the sand, saving Mary Magdalene. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So those are just a couple of moments that I just thought were like almost uh, comically like, oh, OK, obviously. OK, <laughs> you know, like, oh, OK, the line in the sand. All right. Washes hands of it. OK. He very literal interpretations. Right. Yeah. Super literal. And well,
1: then, if he, if he's making the movie to not have subtitles, that would pretty much spell it out for people, spell it out for the audience. Well, that, if You don't know
0: what's being said.
2: Those parts are, um, you know, in, in the Bible, uh, you know, in the gospel accounts as, as actually happening. Um, so is that the origin of those sayings then? You know, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's a good question. I don't know if they're the origin, but, uh, but that's, that's something that, that happened literally, you know, literally happened, um, it, I guess uh, the best way I can say it is, is that you know the accounts, the narratives, the gospel accounts—they don't say that uh, that he washed his hands of it. it. I think he, you know, literally does do it as a symbol to the people, you know, the, the the people in the crowd.
0: Right, like this is on you. I'm not doing this, even though he kind of is doing it, but he's giving in to them.
1: Now, scripturally, Stephen, is is the representation of Pilate? You think pretty much accurate because he seems to be the you know, the voice of reason in the yeah, whole situation. I,
2: I thought that, yeah, I, I thought that it, that the movie portrayed him very well. And um, I, and I can read the accounts and and feel just as much for pilot in the accounts as you do when you watch the film.
1: Cause I mean, when he first says, you know, what do you want me to do with this guy? And they're like, crucify I mean, He like reacts with horror. Like what? You're yeah. going to kill this guy? What did he
2: do? Yeah. And he really did send him back and forth and, you know, talk to his, his wife who had uh, a dream, you know, and, um, and he, you know, had those one-on-one conversations with, with Jesus and, uh, and and had the those great lines about what is truth. That, that was all something that, you know, that Pilate really did have. It is, that is, you know, in the gospel accounts.
0: I thought it was interesting that the pass off to King Herod, hoping that that would satisfy the crowd, because like we said earlier, either decision was going to cause more rebellion and uprising. And he goes yeah. to King Herod, which is just like this um, hedonistic kind of, Pleasure Palace with a cheetah.
1: Yeah, it's like Java the Hut's Palace. Do you know what were the um what was the power dynamics in this situation? I mean, Herod was the 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 king of this area, but then the Romans ruled it jointly. Or what was the situation there? That was I thought it was a weird thing to be able to just be like, well, let's see if Herod can handle this. Yeah, go yeah. go over there in that
2: line. <laughs> Bureaucracy, right? Yeah, that that is uh, the way that like his um the romans handled a lot of their you know hang on hang on
1: stop that and they restart would, your what you just started with saying you were yeah, cutting
2: out again okay. No. okay uh yeah that historically that is significant that that's that is the way that the romans handled a lot of their far you know outpost that um that they would you know have their i don't know how how large their legions were you know in these areas but they would let the people of those areas still kind of retain a lot of their their normal practices and, um, and, and even have their local representative.
1: Okay. Yeah. You kind of made say, kind of seen that way. Like, mm. like pilots probably where the buck stops, but he's like, well, but there's these other groups that have power too. And I'm going to try and yeah work within, within all this, not just be lording over all the power all the time.
2: Well, and we know that, you know, that if you are, you know, seeking to dominate these areas for their resources and for their tax revenue, that you know, sometimes it's, it's better to kind of have your, your, your people, you know, just happy enough to keep on, you know, to keep on maintaining their normal lifestyle rather than just, uh, you know, throwing them all into a, you know, a camp.
1: Yeah. Right. Half the guy that's robbing them look like them. That makes way better.
0: Yeah. And, and better to milk the cows than to slaughter them. Right. right. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, uh, I had another question, but I can do it. Come on, do it. Ask your question.
2: Well, I got another one for you too why are you thinking about that? That, uh, I think was interesting, you know, around the, the scene with Pilate and, um, and you've already mentioned it, but it's Barabbas and he's a, he's an interesting person because, and a lot of the state stuff ties into this guy as well, because the Bible actually refers to him as kind of this, um, this Patriot sort of guy. And, you know, he's, Pilate references these um, uh, these uprisings before. And that's that's what Barabbas was in prison for. He wasn't just a he wasn't just a thief or anything like that. He, but he was a murderer and he had participated and led some of these uprisings. So that's why, you know, Rome doesn't have any problem with, with killing that guy.
0: Oh, OK, yeah, in the film, they just say, oh, he's this scurvy murderer rapist guy. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, say- people, he's the worst guy we can think of. And that's why we're going to offer him and Jesus. And obviously, you'll pick Jesus until they don't
2: yeah i I wish they would have um gotten a little bit more into into him but they might not have been able to do that without having some sort of extra narrative worked into it to kind of give a little bit more description about him all right
1: so if we could get a little bit political um jesus is a figure who has been used for political purposes probably since for the past 2000 years probably um but people on the both left and right and everybody else like to use you know Jesus for their own, you know, backing up their own arguments and whatnot. So a lot of people debate whether or not Jesus was a socialist. And there is a quote in this movie where he says, you know, love one another, you know, love your neighbor, and that sort of thing. And I think that the socialists take that to mean, well, that means we just got to share all our stuff, and that's all socialism is anyway. So by force, gotta... right, right. No, they, they they don't talk about the force part so much. So that's my point is that you know. If I was going to interpret that, you know, I would say love is not pointing a gun at your neighbor to fund the things you want. But Stephen, <laughs> I want to hear your take on whether or not Jesus was a socialist.
2: Yeah, uh, he was not a socialist. Just a, you know, for the easy. And there's a lot of people that do. You know, I've I've read the arguments on, you know, on that 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 he's a socialist because of you know loving your neighbor and there's a few other things where. Uh, Marx and Lenin, I believe, um, you know, quoted Jesus, uh, you know, for these things. About, uh, uh, they escape me right now, the, the particular verses that they did use. Um, so, yeah, it's a common thing. And um, but I mean, but you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, we, we know that socialism is always no matter how it's it's explained, but it always comes down to, you know, the, the gun pointed at somebody to, you know, to take care of the, the mass, the masses. So, um, no, Jesus was not a socialist. Um, he did not give us, you know, uh, some sort of, you know, social economic plan to follow that would be socialist or communist or anything like that. Um, it, it is a, it is a, a mistake that a lot of people.
1: Yeah. It's, it's quite disgusting. I mean, if you take some phrase like, you know, love, love your friends and neighbors and love one another as I love you and you love me and that sort of thing, and to turn it into your own political things and that's why we need to expropriate money from you at gunpoint It's
0: it's gross yeah and then but daniel did you another thing ahead. that they they go after is uh jesus throwing um somebody out of the temple right because they're charging temple taxes or
2: something like that but mm-hmm. it's, it's the tax collectors that they're throwing out is that is that correct no it's actually not tax collectors in in that story um so the temple was where you would go to make your sacrifices and pray um and these people had set up, they, they called them money changers and they would set up these tables and, um, they were, they were profiting off of the people that would come in, uh, and not have, and and not have a good, uh, I think for the most part, um, a good sacrifice to present into the temple. And I, I know that there's been a lot written on some of the specifics that, that they were that they were handling that was particularly uh, you know atrocious. But when Jesus goes in there and he tells them to leave, you know, and he says this is my father's house, you know, and he, and he has them leave, uh, it's because they were taking advantage of people um, in this uh, in the spiritual sense. So it's not just about profit, which is where you're going to find the, the the socialists are going to. You know, end up on this side of the story that it was just guys that were making a profit in the temple. And that's not the case. They were, you know, they were disgracing, you know, his father's temple. And and that is why they were removed.
0: Okay, so they were they were cheating. They weren't just like because when you first described it, it sounded like, oh, they're just providing something that people want.
2: Yeah. Right. They, they were doing it, you know, uh, in, in a bad sort of way. They, they were, I, I'm trying to think of the, the best way to say it, but but yeah, they were cheating the, the people that were there and um, you know, just, it makes a mockery of, of the temple and what it was.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, you know, the, the Mark's thing, uh, I'm, I'm not surprised that he would, Mix in some some uh, verses in because he was trying to abolish religion, wasn't he? he? Was it not Marx that called religion the opiate of the masses?
2: Yeah, I believe you're right.
0: Yeah, and then one of the planks of the manifesto was to uh, abolish religion, which almost sounds fascistic and Hitlerian in uh, or Mussolinian, like nothing above the state, nothing but yeah. the state.
1: Yeah, that was the. Um... What that was, the uh, what Stalin did, right? He abolished the church out of Soviet Union. And so the the nation, the national religion apparently was like, atheism, is what they called it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But then that gets thrown at atheist feet as if atheists are all a bunch of psychopathic murdering communists. <laughs> it's not the case of that either. Oh, it might have been Lenin who abolished it anyway.
0: Oh, uh, you mean on? Uh, religion?
1: I mean, yes, he didn't abolish the state. What am I talking no, about? No, he
0: amped it up, <laughs> cranked it up to 11, <laughs> cranked up the state to 11. Well, while while we're on the the subject of just generalities here, um, Stephen, what do you think is the state of the church in the United States at present? From my reading of things, it looks as if there's a lot more conflation and propagation within the government and military worship that's been brought into religion in some ways. Uh, So a lot of statism kind of sticks into even um, sermons that I hear about. Not that I, I, I don't go to church, but um there are people like in the Tom Woods group that i uh interact with, and they talk about when they go to church they're like, Oh, the preacher said this, and it's like the super status thing or uh even like uh pope francis and and his advocacy for socialistic type stuff um what what do you what's your read on things Cause I, I thought that religion was more of a um a split from statism in a way in the past anyway
2: yeah i I think that it's the current state of the church um is very much you know way too closely connected to the state, and 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 I don't just mean that as a, this organizational sort of thing, but even just down to the end of that is putting all of their faith in the state and in a voting republic system, and they're they really have you know intermingled their faith with God with their faith in the state, and it, it's my observation, in my opinion, that the state is really the one winning out with that person's faith. And, um, it's very unfortunate. You you have your people that are socialist and, um, you know, and using, you know, Jesus as the symbol for socialism. I I would say that I think in the United States, it's mainly on, on the other side of it, where, you know, Jesus is this, uh, symbol for, you know, this, this rising nation, you know, and, and we've had presidents refer to, you know, use biblical terms to refer to the nation. Um, Uh, You know, it it was prominent back in the Civil War, and it was prominent in the Cold War, um, and it's prominent now, uh, where you see so many people um, referring to Donald Trump as, you know, as some sort of David figure or Cyrus figure, and you know, picking out these these heroes in the Bible uh, to relate him to. Um, It's like I said, it's just um, faith has been co-opted by by too many Christians, and their faith they may use you know, words like Jesus and Bible and God, but so much of it is actually directed toward the state.
0: Yeah. And it seems like a lot of times they'll justify things with um, phrases or verses that are like render unto Caesar, what is Caesar's, or they'll refer to Romans 13. But I think layman's terms here, um, I think that they're misinterpreting those because they were kind of the opposite of what they use them for today in their justifications. Can, Can you explain what those two things mean? And if there's any others that you can think of that, uh, have this yeah. similar kind of situation.
2: Yeah, those are definitely the, the most prominent, uh, objections that people will have, you know, toward Christian anarchism. Um, and, and yes, the, these words were said and, and written down. Um, I, I want to say close to 400 years before the, the Christian church, uh, started to mix with, uh, with the state and that was with uh you'll hear you know emperor Constantine used a lot for that where he made it illegal to persecute christians where um after this this time of of jesus and up until constantine christians were under a horrible persecution where they were murdered in the Colosseum for sport and in the most horrific way and, uh, so, so there's this uh interesting dynamic with constantine where he ended that and the and the the caesars to kind of follow their emperors to follow him. Uh, they, they ended that, but then that also brought the church into the political realm. And it's been, there, you know, it's been there ever since, but in, in various different ways where we have the growth of the Roman Catholic church and, and we have, um, you know, different Eastern Orthodox religions that are, you know, connected with their particular States. And then um, even what you can see here, With uh, you know, in the current United States, where it's uh, the very this evangelical um, you know patriot that that you see today, you know, I guess it's we can speak in generalities. I I think you you know what I'm talking about. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been intermingled ever since then, and um, in various ways. And it's um, you know, it's something that uh, is a mistake of what those verses and what um, uh, in the position of the Christian and the church. It's it's a mistake.
0: Okay. And if I could uh, rephrase the questions more pointedly, why is render unto Caesar not a justification for taxation? Because it seems to be used as such. And why Mm -hmm. is Romans 13 not a justification for blindly following your elected leaders?
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because that is the way that they are used. So with Romans 13, um, it's interesting because if you look at Romans 12 and Romans 13, the Romans... 13 part that is always thrown out there is the first seven verses of Romans. And these, these books when they were actually written Romans, especially Romans was just a letter and these chapter breaks weren't a part of the original letter. So these chapter breaks were put in there and, um, and they're great for referencing, you know, things very quickly, you know, in the Bible. Uh, But in this particular case, Um, there's a little bit of difficulty here where Romans 12 and Romans 13 are actually part of a long thought. And because of where the chapter break is, it's very, very easy to just ignore uh, Romans 12. And so it's something that I do like to point out to people whenever they, they bring me the Romans 13 thing. Um, If you look at Romans 12, Romans 12 does uh, quite a bit to show you the way that a Christian is supposed to act. And then in Romans 13, we get some description of how the state acts. And it is in a drastic contradiction to the way that a Christian is supposed to act. And then the r- remainder of Romans 13 again goes further into the way a Christian is supposed to act. So it's, it's, it just shows the the dangers of just looking at something out of context. And if I could just narrow it down to the way that the Christian is supposed to act with Romans 13 in mind, we're told to not, you know, start a revolt. It's not that we're supposed to worship Caesar or the emperor or anything like that, but we're not supposed to start a revolt. And then uh, with the rendering unto Caesar thing as well, that's an interesting thing because the context of, of Jesus, the question that's given to Jesus that he answers that way, um, it specifically says that they're trying to catch him. And you see it in the movie too, where they're saying, oh, he, um, they're saying that he wants to you know, undermine Caesar and things like that and he's telling everyone not to pay their taxes well that, that doesn't actually happen and that that is the claims that they use to try to get him crucified but that's not what he actually does do and the the render unto Caesar part it's it's a shame because there's another part directly after that where he says and render unto God the things that are God's and what Jesus is really ultimately doing here is he is saying this tax thing is not what I'm here for it's beneath me this is not this is not important. What is important is what I'm here for. What is important is salvation.
0: Well, wow, this is interesting because I can almost read into both of these, uh, almost this horseshoe where you start off with them justifying taxation with the render to Caesar. And then you're explaining, well, he's basically saying, you know, don't worry about it. And so in a way, it's like, pay your taxes because it's not important. And then the Romans 13 one, it's like, so they're sort of using it wrong. But then you're also... <laughs> you know, kind of backs around to, well, don't start a rebellion. Well, that's like the ultimate check on government, you know? So if you can't have a rebellion, uh, then they can kind of do whatever, right. It's like a blank check.
2: Well, there's quite a few things in the, in the New Testament that are hard. And that's hard for us because we do have this sense of justice. You know, we do have this sense of right and wrong. And we're, you know, we're told Jesus is ultimate example of the way that we're supposed to be. And Jesus was not guilty of any of the things that he was put on the cross for. And he wasn't even guilty in the spirituals as well. Um, so we're told as Christians to, you know, imitate Christ. We're told as Christians to um, turn the other cheek. You know, we're told as Christians that if someone is to steal from, you know, to steal our shirt, then to give them our jackets, you know, and it's this, um, it's this way of living that is, it's, it's difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to explain. It's difficult to, um, to even, you know, balance it with our sense of justice.
0: Yeah, it's almost like, well, they're robbing me, so I'll give them even more.
2: It doesn't make the robbing, not robbery though. You know, it doesn't make it not theft.
0: All right. Interesting. Um, well, you know, we are getting, uh, towards the end of our, a lot of the time for the show. So we should probably venture back toward the movie and then get into uh, the final summaries and reviews. Unless Robert, you have any comments before we do that?
1: Well, I could comment on some of the things you guys are saying. I guess I could also save it for my final summary. Um, I will just—I'll just briefly mention that um, you know, as this heretic atheist guy, one of my favorite things about religion—and what it makes it so sad—my favorite things about religion is that it is a check; it's, it's like a bulwark against against you know, a government because. You have God's law, which is above man's law, or at least it should be. And I, I know a lot of um, like Christian sects that I've talked about here on the show before um, are really good at that and have really maintained that tradition. That yeah, man's going over and doing all this other stuff, but we still have the the primacy of the Lord's word because ultimately, you know, government's just made out of people who are all fallible and whatnot. But if you have this idea that there's this you know all knowing, all powerful Creator being that is handed down, you know, the right way to be, that should be some sort of a immunization against the tyrannies of government. Because if you're taught, no, this is how you should be. And then you see these government people doing this other thing, this horrible thing, you could recognize it, right? You got the good and without the good, you can't recognize the bad. So you got the good and then you see the bad and you go, oh, but like Stephen was saying earlier, it's, it's really kind of fallen off. I mean, I I worry that, you know, as much as You know, I'm not a religious person, but I recognize that as you lose religion and as people let their faiths kind of fall to the wayside, I worry that they don't pick up statism as a far, far, far more dangerous religion.
0: Yeah, it seems to be the most popular one right now. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Well, Stephen, feel free to respond and then let's get into our final summary and review on the uh, Passion of the Christ.
2: Uh, Some of that uh, did break up there, and um, but... I I think I I, if if I start rambling, you know, cut me off. Uh, But I think that um, for the most part, what what you're you're saying is is very true. That people do pick up on on statism, and uh, rather than uh, the truths that are explained, you know, in the New Testament, and and unfortunately that's true. Um, There is hope, though. Um, You know, there are plenty of people that are you know Christian anarchist and um they uh, most people weren't born into it you know so everybody's come from either the right or the left and there there is hope
1: (laughs) that's right with the spread the power of information hopefully turn the tide all right let's get into our summary reviews i will uh i'll start it off why not so for me this movie you know if you're going to make a historical movie the story that's been told before you got to do it kind of an interesting way like, I remember the movie Lincoln, which is about this psychopathic murderer. And we all knew how the story ended. So you had to tell the story. You had to get the people engaged in the characters in order for you to be engaged as an audience. Like, we already know how the story is going to end. So I need to be able to connect with these people on a human level in order to be along for the ride and, and to go along and, you know, see how the movie ends and whatever. Um, this movie, I think, is already banking on the pre-established character that everybody already knows. And they already know it's kind of the history and the lore. And so you go into this movie already knowing a whole lot about the characters involved because this movie doesn't really give you anything. So for me, kind of as an outsider, even though I was raised in a, you know, a Christian part of the world and I grew up, you know, going to church. And so I know a bit about it, but strictly speaking from a film critic's viewpoint, this movie just has no narrative weight. There's no like protagonist that does anything. There's very little that is actually happens. He gets kidnapped. There's a show trial and then he's executed all and, you know, and that's it. So for me, this, this movie wasn't that great. Um, I will say that, you know, I, I generally like Mel Gibson stuff. Um, I think he's a perfectly competent filmmaker. He's not perfect by any means, but I do enjoy his work for the most part. Um, I am I was kind of surprised that this movie. I don't know if it would do so well today. I don't know. That's an interesting idea. If, if it if it was released today, how well would it do? But at the time, it was like the number one R-rated movie, or the biggest money-making R-rated movie for a long time. So it's doing something right. I mean, I assume it was you know cashing in on name recognition and all the controversy surrounding it. And because there's been all kinds of uh, Bible stories that have been done um, that have done fairly well. I mean, Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. I think I don't know if, how well it was. But I'm sure it was it's kind of a cinematic classic in a way. But anyway, I'm babbling. So let me just clear it up here. Um, I wouldn't say this was a great movie. I, I, I appreciate, though, the, um, the spirit which it was made and the idea that you're going to make something different. But I don't think it's like a standalone movie. You can't just watch this movie without knowing any of the backstory. You can't be like an alien coming down and watching this movie and going, oh, that was good because you're not getting anything. You're, there's no character development, there's no arc, nobody has any kind of, learns anything, changes in any way. So none of that traditional kind of storytelling for this this little slice of life, which would make sense. I mean, it'd be weird if it was you know 12 hours and you fundamentally change yourself as a character, eh, whatever, it happens, but it's weird. Anyway, um, I'm gonna give this a, a, a mediocre, just like a five. It's not great, but it's not like terrible either. So
0: I'm gonna stop talking. Somebody else take over. Sorry, everybody. All right, Steven. So, so uh, feel free to give your summary and uh, a score out of ten. You can go decimal point deep if you'd like.
2: <laughs> um, I I don't mind the movie. Um, it visually it looks really good. I thought. Um, I guess it would be the the cinematography. I thought that it looked really good. Uh, there are a lot of aspects to it that I do really appreciate as far as um hitting on um dialogue that just has to be a part of the story um there were however several parts that i think are just absolutely confusing even outside of the movie just being this one little snippet you know the the parts with uh satan and um maybe even some of the flashbacks the way that they were if you're if you're not familiar with 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 those parts of the story it could be confusing um i think overall and this may be surprising. I mean, I can see why it did so well. Like you said, the the name recognition, but not just for Mel Gibson, but for um, a movie about Jesus and about the passion. Um, but I don't think that it's the greatest movie because other than the visual issues that that um, the, that you encounter from seeing Jesus beaten, it's obviously, it's going to affect you emotionally. But personally, I would rather listen to a really well articulated sermon about the passion that really drives home the gospel message that i think is lost out in this movie i think it i think that the the gospel of jesus being born and living according to the scriptures and dying on the cross for our sins and then being resurrected is lost in in this movie and again i i would personally rather just sit through a well worded sermon about the subject uh, about the passion than um, than watching this movie, uh, you know. In one way, like I said, it's visually uh, you know entertaining or eye opening, but it's a bit gratuitous as well. So um, if I were to to rate it, I guess I might go a point over at a six, but uh, that I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be you know recommending this right away. Uh, I would rather recommend a lower budget movie about the entire you know, gospel, Luke or John rather than.
0: All right. Interesting. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, I almost want to say what those two said, because they're both pretty smart. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I remember the controversy, hadn't seen it until last night. And after reading about like what it took for Mel Gibson to get this thing actually off the ground and, and out into the world, um, I got to give him a, a lot of credit. I mean, that's, that's some cojones to do this. Because it seemed to be very anti-establishment. Like the, the normal Hollywood people did not want this movie made. They didn't want to support it at all. So I, I want to give it a little bit of bonus points for that. Also, I think that as you guys were saying, you know, if you just watch the movie and you don't know anything about what's going on, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. And even if you do know what's going on, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense in some of the parts. But I think in the context of this is a story that, I don't know, a, a few billion people are familiar with. I don't know how many Christians there are in the world, but it's, you know, it's one of the major religions. And I think that they're kind of banking on the audience, having that foreknowledge, coming in and watching this and seeing it depicted, you know, in, in gratuitous detail, because they have probably sat through those sermons like you were talking about, Stephen, those, those good sermons that talk about the meaning behind it all and, and what it, like how, how powerful it is for Christians. And then to then see it in this visceral way I don't know. I just kind of like symbiotically in my, in my mind, it just makes sense that something like this gets made as a passion project in and of itself about the passion. Uh, and I think that, I don't know, I, I I actually enjoyed it. It was, well, I mean, it's hard to say you enjoy something that's about torturing a guy. Um, but I I guess what I'm saying, it's like, it's really well done and I'm glad it got made and I'm glad I saw it. So I'm going to go with a seven on this and I don't care what you guys think. I I think it was pretty good.
1: I can't argue with any of that. Thank you, Stephen, for all your comments and your insight. You've been a fantastic guest. Appreciate that. Daniel, you're not wrong either.
0: Everybody's right on their opinions. It was good. It's a good thing we got an opinion show, because <laughs> otherwise we'd be in trouble. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I think next week we're going to do a non-Easter special, an Earth Day special. But instead of talking about Earth, let's get away from Earth and go out on a uh, Galaxy Quest. I think we're going to have Anarchist Mom join us for that one next week, the Tim Allen movie. And uh, I think that will be interesting and fun to talk about. If you're good with that, Robert, I am totally good with
1: that. I don't remember that movie having any, it's been a million years since I've seen it. So I couldn't even tell you the plot. So I'm sure it'll be great. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's other things around it. Tim Allen, there's Rain Wilson. There's probably some other people. I know it's like a, what a send up of uh Star Trek. So it should be good.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I think as we've demonstrated on our last show about Dodgeball, we can talk about anything for about an hour. <laughs> and I think that might be our new tagline.
1: <laughs> what a great selling point.
0: So, uh, Stephen, again, uh, thank you for being our guest on The Last Nighters, episode 68 of the show. Uh, why don't you remind the audience um, what your uh, site's about and where they can find it? And then uh, we'll say goodnight.
2: All right, Ed. Again, thank you for having me on. I uh, really appreciate it. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to, to talk about this movie and, um, you know, the important aspects to it, as well as, you know, our opinions on, on, the, on the story and, and the cinematography. But um, if you want to catch up with me, uh, facebook.com, anarcho-christian, Twitter anarcho-christian, anarcho-christian.com is our website where you can find uh, articles and uh, links to the podcast, or Christian so uh, feel free to hit me up on any of the social media sites or uh, through the email address on the, on the website and I'll be happy to, to talk about uh, anything.
0: All right sounds great well thanks again and uh, thank you audience uh, remember to give us likes and subscribes and shares and give us reviews on iTunes. it helps bump up our uh, profile there and get us recommended to other people. We got three reviews in the last week which uh, is pretty awesome uh, so it shows you the power of asking. So uh, we could use a few more if you if you got them, um, smoke them if you got them, and I'll say uh, good night from last night. Thanks, everyone. All right, and we'll continue the actual Anarchy Podcast for a few more minutes. This is episode one twenty-five of the show. We have anarcho Christian on talking about Passion of the Christ. And I can't believe it's not butter. We didn't talk about a very important event that happened on Monday or a significant event. Um, Steven, your take on the Notre Dame fire. Uh, What do you, what, what, what do you hear? What do you, what do you know about this?
2: Yeah, um, it definitely a big event. And um, so myself personally, I'm not a Catholic, so I don't have um, a lot of uh, emotional, you know, connections or ties to the build itself. Um, But, uh, I do recognize it's um, just its architectural beauty and historical significance, and it was sad to see that happen. And um, I, I'm I don't think anyone was injured in it, and and uh, so that I'm very grateful. Um, but it, it's a uh, it's a shame that such a uh, old and um, historically significant building went up like that.
1: Yeah, and I heard there's like a computer glitch is what
2: it's getting blamed on.
1: I understand that there was like renovations going on at the time. I don't yeah, know what that means.
2: But... You can see the scaffolding uh, in some of the photos. And um, man, I I just hate to be that guy dumped over the paint thinner and, you know, into the candle or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You'd think they'd have regulations around that. There should be a law,
2: (laughs) especially in France,
0: right? Probably some uh, three union workers that would be like, all right, we're going to set the candles way over here. You set the paint thinners way over there. You don't knock them down. (laughs) Anyway, um, some people are, are, uh, it's rather convenient because um, there's the yellow vest protests that have been going on and it gets like almost no media coverage. And I guess Marcone was uh, slated to speak about something related to some issues in France. And again, I don't know much about it. But some people are saying that it was rather convenient that this occurred because then he was able to, to not make that speech. And, and some of the focus got shifted. Are, yeah.
1: we, are we putting on our tinfoil hats?
0: <laughs> yeah, total tinfoil hat time. Because, and, and I'll go a step further. Um, and I don't know, man, I almost don't, I almost don't want to say this, but you know, when um, 9-11 happened, it was the attack on the financial center of the West. Yes. This seems like a religious center of the West or the Western society. And I can't help but draw a parallel there. I'm not saying <laughs> this, like, is, this is obviously an accident, though. This isn't like an act of terrorism. Right. Is it, though? I don't know. Is it?
2: Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I don't see that. Um, I, I'm all for a good conspiracy, but um, I don't I don't think that uh, Notre Dame necessarily has that level of uh, importance to uh, to to the I guess the the faith, um, you know, overall in general. Um, now, the yellow vesting, that was actually the first thing I thought of when I saw it go up in flames. I, I thought, um I, you know that was the first thing I was asking was it have anything to do with the yellow vest and uh, I don't think that it did from everything that I can tell and um, I think that there were some uh, some pretty quick accusations that it might be you know you know Islamic terrorist related but I haven't seen anything really come out that that really pointed that direction either um you know like i said with the scaffolding uh around the building and the removal of you know some of the pieces of the of the building it just seems like it, it may be a legitimate accident
0: okay all right well i did also see some articles and i don't know the veracity of them you know fake news and all um that churches had been attacked frequently in the recent years in france
1: is there any group claiming anything I don't usually if, if it's some sort of political terrorism, wouldn't they claim responsibility?
2: Yeah. And I haven't heard anything. Like
1: that. Yeah. I haven't
2: heard anything about that either. And there were some mosques, too, that I think, uh, from what I understand, has, have been damaged. So it, it seems to be that um, that that it's a wide variety of, of, of faiths and churches that are that are, you know, that are, I don't know, catching on fire by accident or by a a random thing, but it's not connected uh, from, from what I can tell.
0: Okay. All right. Well, um, related to the scaffolding and the work being done, I guess I heard that they had removed much of the artwork, um, for the renovation. And so fortunately, not only did nobody die, but also a lot of these old, um, arts artworks were not lost. Granted the, um, the ceiling and the joists and all that were like 13th century wood. Mm. That's all gone. But, um, sounds like it's not as bad as it would have been had it been um you know fully uh, stocked of you know all the things that are normally in there
2: yeah it looks like the stained glass is still intact as well which I, I mean that is some pretty incredible uh stained glass windows in that church i don't know if you've seen any you know up close pictures of that but uh but yeah I, I was surprised to see that uh it appears that that even the stained glass is fine
0: okay well yeah that is good i i've heard it's a very beautiful building i've never been um in myself but people do mention that, you know, it's a very highly visited place and anyone who goes to Paris pretty much goes and checks it out that and, and the Eiffel tower. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm sure it's
1: responsible for all kinds of tourism dollars going into Paris for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I just wanted to, uh, to make mention of that. Well, you know, it's a hot topic. Um, that's a bad pun. Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, um, we should, uh, maybe move into some of the Kathleen Turner overdrive, which is our Patreon bonus content. So, uh, people who want access to that, who are listeners, Go to actualanarchy.com slash Patreon and you'll get pre-show and post-show some early access content and potentially some new bonuses that Robert and I are cooking up. Uh, We might do some uh, live streams of us uh, drinking beers and (laughs) just ask us anything, uh, shoot the shit kind of thing, um, which I think would be a lot of fun. So look out for that in the uh, near future. Uh, Steven, thanks again for joining us for this episode on The Passion of the Christ. Uh, people can find your work over at anarchochristian.com. Also the Facebooks and the Twitters and all of that. And uh, I uh, do want to mention that you are also on the Liberty Weekly uh, show last year talking with Pat McFarland. So I'll put that on our show notes page because uh, we always like to throw a little love his way as well. Um, but uh, any final words for our audience, Stephen, and then Robert, and then we'll uh, get into Kathleen Turner Overdrive. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you.
1: Yeah, come on back next week for Galaxy Quest, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Peace. The Chipmunks.
0: In the early days of
1: the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed.